Welcome to Midpoint, OCC's midweek podcast aimed at helping you connect with last week's message and prepare you for next week's sermon. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to Midpoint, your midweek connection to Orchard's Community Church. My name is Marissa. Last weekend, Pastor James talked us through Acts 11, 1 through 18, where we started the new series DNA discussing what are we made of? and how, as Christ followers, we are now wired to join God in His mission. Which leads into your question, James, are we growing to be more like Jesus? Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, that was the—as we started the DNA series, it was Brenton's idea, really, to talk about this notion of what are we made of, because it actually is leading us into the next series. I'm previewing this already now. Uh, Because once we know what we're made of, and once we know the mission God has put us on, then we're supposed to hold tight to that. And so he's calling it anchored or tethered or something like that. But it's this notion of, yeah, now you are plugged into the Holy Spirit. You know how God has made you with your spiritual gifts. And so the next step is to stay connected. So that's really where the DNA thing came from. But the question in there is the same thing you see in Peter in the passage. Peter's really growing. Like you see it. And then today in the staff meeting, we talked about you really see it in his epistles. But are we growing like that? I don't know that we spend a lot of time thinking about that. I don't know how long you've been a Christ follower. I know I've been a Christ follower 20, goodness gracious, I'm old, <laughs> 27, 28 years. And it's a lot different. Like I, I look a lot different and you should. Like if, you, if, if you've been a Christ follower for 30, 40 years and you're still a baby Christian, that's, I started to say horrible. I mean, that's bad because in that time you're supposed to have grown to be more like Jesus. And so that's what you see out of Peter. And so that was the question that came to me in this. Peter is is not good in this passage. He puts his foot down. He's like, no, he says no to God, which he has a little habit of, <laughs> of doing, which is not something we're supposed to do. And at the end, he goes back to the church in Jerusalem and says, guys, we got to get on board. Well, that's huge growth right there, just at the start. So, so that's the question. As we evaluate ourselves where we are in this journey with God, are we growing? I think it's important for us to know. Yeah, I mean it's important. I think, like you said, that we're not we're not stagnant in exactly. our journey. Yeah. I mean, where I was twenty years ago is definitely not the same. I mean, I'm like many people within church. I I grew up in the church, mm-hmm. but what that looked like when I was a child <laughs> is not is supposed not to be. is not the same. Yeah. You know. Well, and even that you got beautiful kids. You think about your kids. You probably parent your kids differently now on your third kid than you did on your first kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and you don't need to give examples. It's okay. <laughs> but but I mean that's the deal. You are growing as a parent because you have experience now and you have all these things. I, you always make the jokes and you always laugh and and I feel bad. We really do feel bad about this. Our fourth kid, <laughs> we love him to death. We have like almost no pictures. You you, you take so many pictures of your first kids because you're like, oh my gosh, this is new and amazing. And then we get to the fourth kid and we're like, yeah, we've done this before. <laughs> And it's like we have scrapbooks for all the kids, and the older kids all have two, two scrapbooks. But Trace only has one, and it's pretty skinny. Well, hey, you're you're ahead of me. I I've got I think one one book, one picture book. So I'm way behind. It's not something we need to have a competition on, but but it is just funny. Yeah, I mean, and with your first kids, if if they fall down, you immediately run to the doctor or whatever like that. Macy broke her arm. We didn't take her for a week. We were like, I'm sure she's fine. Just walk it off. You know, so it's that we're bad parents, but, but it's that thing where you're like, Hey, we're doing this different. Cause you have that, that realm of experience. Well, you're growing. 
some that's a bad example about going to the doctor. You should go to the doctor. That's a, uh, <laughs> but but in that you just like okay, we've seen this before. We know what to do. We know that not every time they fall down, they didn't break a bone. They're okay, you know. And, and so those are the things you learn. Well, you learn that in practice in your regular life. It should also apply to your spiritual life. I, I didn't know that you were a Christ follower as a kid, but I mean, yeah, that's the thing. You're definitely going to look different years in. Um. So I really loved your analogy that you referenced um, in John seven thirty eight. Referring to the river, yeah, this is such a powerful analogy. I mean, I grew up on the river, so um, I can understand where it's where it's calm and where there's yeah, areas where you have to be cautious of the current, where it can really just mm-hmm. you know take off on you. So, what made you choose this particular analogy in reference to this sermon? I'm always trying to find illustrations that help people apply the Bible into their life, and this is just the one that God brought to me. And I'm assuming because of that experience I had where I got sucked under, because that was maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the most scary thing that's ever happened in my life. I mean, that's the closest I've ever come to dying, you know? And I remember at the time, like I, I literally, it's not like God froze time for me or anything, but I remember as I put my feet down going, this is a bad <laughs> idea. And then just literally getting sucked under. And and so since that had never happened to me before, you know, and then you're like, and I don't know how long I was down. The river was fast and I know I was way down. I don't know if it's 50 yards, but I was way down the river when I popped back up. But I didn't swim my way to the top. I just popped back up. So for however many yards, 50 yards, I was just rolling and, and like, is this it? Is, you know, The river is powerful. We get in the river here. We float the river almost every year. Uh, and it's just fun. you know. But it's around here, it's pretty lazy. Mm-hmm. Like there have been times where we're like, oh, crud, we're, you know, we had something planned at five. We're not going to make it. You know, The river's that slow moving. And it's still powerful. It's damn controlled, so we get it. But like, if you go down to Riggins and you you do any whitewater rafting, and, and again, I've, some of the the good whitewater rafting I've done, the river will kill you. And so I think the problem is, and, and where I was trying to go with the analogy, the Holy Spirit is so powerful. In Romans, it talks about the power of the Holy Spirit being the thing that raised Jesus from the dead. We have that power inside of us, and we don't think about it. We don't we don't recognize how powerful it is. Well, that's a mistake on our part because it gives us this incredible power to go do anything that God wants us to do. And yet we don't do it because we think, well, I can't do that. Well, sure you can. Holy Spirit power inside of you says you can do that. So that's where I was trying to go with that. And I hope that kind of came across. But but that's where God brought me that verse in John, because literally the, the rivers of living water flowing out of you, that's more powerful than you think. We should recognize that. Well, you also mentioned that if you put your feet down, the river will literally lay you down. <laughs> yes. And the same thing applies to our faith journey. So yeah. does that mean every time we tell God no that he's going to run us down, so to speak? That's a that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew how to answer that one. I don't think it's every time. You know, it, it's such a hard thing because the reality is like God's got stuff figured out. Like the things our sovereign God wants to happen are going to happen. I know there are many times he'd like to use you. He'd like to use me. And and that would be great for us because that would be part of our picture of abundance. And I know I've messed up. I know there are times where, hey, God wanted me to do that, and I bailed, or, or I didn't see it, or, or whatever. Well, God's still going to get it done. I'm not trying to use this as a cop-out. You know, He wants to use you as part of your growth on your journey with him. But in that, uh, what does Job say um, at the end of Job? And Job's journey is, is a long and, and hard journey. But at the end of it, he says, I get it, God. No purpose of yours will be thwarted. And he's basically saying the same thing that Isaiah says in Isaiah 14. is like, no purpose of yours will be thwarted. And that's a neat Hebrew word. I can't remember what the word is. Pa- paros. I don't actually speak Greek or Hebrew. <laughs> I just have a big concordance. Um, I think it's the word paros. 
because uh, I looked it up this week. And it's this idea of dispersed. No plan of yours will be dispersed, God. If you want to do it, you're going to do it. Well, his plan to reach people of every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to happen. Like that has to happen before Jesus comes back. Do we want to be on board? Do we, do we want to be part of that plan and experience the abundance? Or are we going to put our feet down? Because if we put our feet down there, literally, we will get run over because God's going to do that. He'll just use somebody else. I, I've walked with the Lord long enough that I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I don't want to be the guy. I don't want to be Peter saying no to God. If he literally is asking me to do something, I want to say, yeah, I want to do that. Now, that's easy. You and I sitting here, <laughs> here in this room, I can talk a good game of this all day long. I mentioned this in the staff meeting today, and it was a, a weird deal because this really imprinted me. Uh, I used to be the pastor of this uh, convenience store back in Missouri where I got my Diet Coke all the time. And so I was in there three or four times a day. And God gave me these enormous opportunities to share the gospel. Three people who worked there ended up professing faith. I actually ran a Bible study in that convenience store. So it was incredible. Um, but there was a young girl there, and she was kind of on my heart. I, was really, I felt like I was supposed to share the gospel with her, and I didn't. Um, it just never came up, but like organically, it wasn't a, a good spot for me to do it. And I kept saying, well, God, the next chance I get, like if I go in there and she's on a break or whatever, I'm going to share the gospel with her. And I went in one Saturday morning and I had Gavin with me and Gavin was young. He was two or three or something like that. My oldest boy is 24 now. Um, and I went in there and I had Gavin with me and she was on a break. And I was like, well, this is my chance. And I was like, oh, but Gavin's with me. And so this is going to be awkward. You know? And so I didn't do it. I didn't share the gospel with her. And then literally like I, I didn't see her for a couple weeks. She just wasn't around. And this is so long ago, again, as I mentioned, Gavin's age, this is when the swine flu came out. You may not remember this. You, you would have been very, very young. Um, but she got the swine flu and she died. Mm. And like I remember asking after a couple weeks, I hadn't seen her. And I was like, hey, where's this girl or whatever? And they said, oh, my gosh, it's tragic, Pastor James. She died. And like I felt, well, I, I talk about getting laid down. I was like. I was supposed to share the gospel with her. I didn't, and she died. What if, you know, and I felt all that guilt of, oh my gosh, she might have gone to hell. And, and it really, God had to kind of meet me because I got weird. <laughs> like I was like, I have totally blown this. And no plan of God's going to be thwarted. If, if her name's in the book of life, she's supposed to be saved. God would have used somebody else. But I missed my chance to be the one to share the gospel with her. And, and I kind of pledged at that time, wow, God, if you're ever going to set me up again to share the gospel, I'm sharing the gospel. And to the best of my knowledge, I haven't missed a chance <laughs> since then. So yeah, God uses stuff like that to try and draw us to the right spot too. But I still feel bad to this day about the fact that I didn't share the gospel. Again, th that was lame of me. That was just me making an excuse for my kids with me. Well, how great would it have been, even though he's two or whatever at the time, to hear me sharing the gospel with somebody? That would have been good. So no plan of God's can be thwarted. I know that. He could do it so much better without me. <laughs> and yet he chooses to use me. He chooses to use you. That's the incredible part of it. There's abundance in us joining him. There's growth in us joining him. So even though we're not going to do it as well as he could, that's still part of his plan. And so I just don't want to get in the way of that. Will he lay us down every time? I hope not like I because I got really, I mean, like I was kind of despondent. You know, I hope that he doesn't do that to everybody. But I hope there's something where we go, yeah, I should have done that. <laughs> I mean, I know there's many times in my life which I, I put my feet down and. But it's the river, easy to do. The, the, the river keeps on flowing, though. And that's the beautiful thing about yes, God is, is yeah. he will meet us back yeah. when our head pops back up. Well, you know? praise the Lord. That, that, and that's true. That's really, really true. That's well said. Thank you. Um, later on, you talked about um, our DNA and how Peter's DNA was that he was brass and he tends to put his foot down a lot. So why do you think that God would choose someone like Peter to help the church 
along into the next phase of his unstoppable church. I was talking with Forrest about this because Forrest kind of took that challenge I mentioned in scripture where he's reading through first and second Peter right now. And it really is that just the night and day change between Peter and the gospels and Peter and the epistles. And, and that's kind of the deal. Peter had natural leadership gifts. You've probably met people like that. People are some, some people you just follow them, you know, Mm -hmm. well, you're hoping those people (laughs) will lead you to the Lord. Sometimes they don't. And I've been part of, I've been a follower of groups that weren't headed towards the Lord, but people are just dynamic or they have charisma or whatever. I think God used Peter. I think God chose Peter to be the rock he was going to build his church on because he had a lot of those natural giftings and Peter just had to learn to get out of his own way. This to me is the beauty of using Peter here in Acts 10 and 11 because Peter screws up. Peter doesn't do it right. Peter goes, oh no, Lord, never. I'm not going to do that thing that you just (laughs) specifically asked me to do. Well, how many times have I done that? Like God's telling me something, I'm like, nah, I don't think that's the deal. And, and so are we willing to do big stuff for the Lord? Well, if, if we're sure that God is asking us, the answer is supposed to be yes. I get that, no matter how brash or impulsive or anything we might be. Peter was and still did it, but he just didn't do it immediately, and he did it with reservation, and I think that's where a lot of us are. And so I think that's why he's the leader. I think that's why the example is there. Because for us to look at our own lives, and, and we can't go, well, I didn't follow the Lord in this particular thing, so now I'm done. No. <laughs> Peter also didn't follow, and he's stinking the leader of the church. <laughs> so, so I think if we really cut ourselves some slack and go, these examples in the Bible are there for a reason for us to realize, oh, even if I didn't do that perfectly, God can still use me, that's helpful. And that's Peter. I, I, I love Paul. And I identify with Paul in a lot of ways, but I identify with Peter in a lot of ways too, because I've really blown some stuff up. I've just done some stuff horribly and it didn't disqualify me from ministry. That I think is cool. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, why do you think that the church didn't want to initially hear Peter's story? I mean, instead they were really quick to criticize him and referring to basically kind of going out of the social norms at the time. Yeah, well, and, and I think we all get that. And, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago with this idea of even the, the gospel spreading beyond the Jewish community. We know what we know. We like what we like. We get very ensconced in our comfort zone. I get that. Well, that happened back in, in the early church too. And so I think Peter became the guy because of his natural leadership that if he was going to be able to stand up like he did in verse 17 of the passage and go, we've been doing this wrong. Like I, I finally realized, what good is it for me to stand against God because I'm going to get plowed over? And when Peter says that, then I think people get it. Peter, there's so many great Peter stories, but, but I think maybe my favorite is when Peter walks on water because Peter did walk on water like for, <laughs> for a brief time, <laughs> but at least he did it. Like all the other dudes sat in the boat, you know, so they can give Peter all the grief you want. You took your eyes off Jesus and you sunk. You are the rock because you sunk. You know, I mean, it's a good nickname for a guy like that, but he did it. He stepped out of the boat. How many of us lack, you know, the impulsivity to actually step out of the boat because Peter was a guy who was like, well, I'll just do that. He just said whatever was on his mind. And I think those people can be great leaders. They got to rein some stuff in. <laughs> so, so to me, that's the beauty of using Peter in that example. He's, he becomes a little bit of an everyman. I think we've all had situations where we're like, well, I did that wrong, but God can still use me. So I like Peter. I, I may be more like Paul, but I really like Peter. <laughs> um, 
what is what's the significance of this this meat sheet? I I I, <laughs> I don't understand its relevance and how it pertains. Yeah. Um. And why does it? How does it tie in? What's yeah. <laughs> honestly? What's with the animals? <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's more information I need here. I love the meat sheet because uh, and Brenton had asked me about this earlier. He's like, I always thought the meat sheet was about meat, and it, the meat sheet is about meat. Like I, I get that part on its face. But it's really about people, too, and it's probably more about people because that's the way that God showed Peter, hey, before, according to Jewish ceremonial law, you couldn't eat these foods. And I'm telling you, you can because I made all these things. And so the things that you saw as ceremonially unclean before through Jesus' life and ministry, because he came to fulfill prophecy, those things aren't unclean anymore. And so what Peter does is he takes the leap to say, oh, gosh, well, now I can eat shellfish. I can eat whatever the other stuff is. I can eat pig, you know, that I couldn't eat before. And so if that's the case, if before I was supposed to avoid those things and now I can have them, and Peter takes that enormous leap, oh, gosh, before I thought I couldn't hang out with the Gentile people, now I can. And now I recognize the Gentiles are worthy of the gospel. So that was a huge, huge leap. And I wish, and and I felt so bad because I didn't get to it in either time, (laughs) that during the sermon I wanted to kind of talk about the importance of that. And that was kind of something that you just don't get. I kind of threw it in as an afterthought. But that's the huge part of this. Peter makes that leap himself. Peter is growing in so many ways. And he's like, well, gosh, if this thing applies to food, I bet it applies to people as well. And God gives Peter credit for getting it because then the church gets it as well. But, but that's the significance of the meat sheet. And, and we could have spent more time on it, but I, I think I could summarize it as easily as we did just now, and I should have. Probably done it in the sermon. So thank you for asking. Yeah. <laughs> so a member of the church also noticed something. I, d- I did not notice it until I read the question. And I really like this question. What is this significance of the number three? Oh, three yeah. lowering yeah. of the sheet, three denials, three yeah. men. Does it tie into the three denials of Jesus and the three commands of Jesus to feed his sheep? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it probably does. There, you can study this, and it's neat. There's lots of studies on biblical numerology and the importance of numbers. And there are numbers that are super important in the Bible because you see how often they're repeated. The number seven is is real common. The number 12, super common. The number 40, 40 days of fasting and 40 days of the flood. And, and, and so you can start to read into those things. Sometimes then I'm afraid it kind of gets into, well, I'll make anything fit into that. you know. And so that's a little weird. Three is pretty easy. Or at least I think it is in my head, three is the number of divine perfection because it's the picture of three in one. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one God. And so in that, I do think three is important in the Bible. I think the three for Peter, seeing the meat sheet lowered three times, I think that is connected to his three denials of Christ earlier because, and and again, I, I can't prove this. This is just where I go on this. Peter denied Jesus three times after saying boldly, everybody else may leave you, but I'm not going to leave you. And then he stinking denies him (laughs) three times. But then, like, if you would think that would disqualify you from ministry, Jesus comes back to him and does the whole, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And I love that because he does that three times. And just in, in, I get goosebumps thinking about it. There's no way that can't be intentional. I think Jesus is saying, you denied me three times, so I'm going to ask you this three times to help you see I'm bringing you back, I'm bringing you back. And so that is, to me, a reinstatement of Peter in ministry. And so maybe that's why he gets the meat sheet three times. I don't know that for sure. But it makes sense, except for if you're really trying to draw the parallels, Peter doesn't deny him the third time. Like the third time the sheet is lowered, he's like, okay, I get it. (laughs) And so then it really becomes about, well, is it just important to repeat things? 
because you got young kids. <laughs> let let oh, me ask yeah. you, is it important for you to repeat things? You uh, know that. <laughs> I don't know if it's important because sometimes they still don't hear me, but, you know, I do repeat myself a lot. <laughs> And, and so, yeah, you must be doing this right. Uh, <laughs> again, I, I referenced Jimmy Neutron a while back. Uh, repetition is good for a developing brain. There are times that we hear something, and I wish that we learned the lesson the first time we heard it, but we don't. And so it is good to hear it over and over again. Some of the most important stuff in Scripture is repeated a ton. Die to yourself, live for Jesus is in there a bunch because it's the most important thing that we're supposed to do other than professing faith. So do I think that Peter got this three times because of the idea of being disqualified and reinstated to ministry? I'm not sure there, but I do think three is important because of Peter's three denials and the three reinstatements. I think here it's just like, you really need to hear this because I asked you and you said no. And I asked you again and you said no, (laughs) and you're supposed to do this. So I'm going to ask one more time. And what do you know? You finally got it. And, And Again, I'm not going to put this on your kids because I don't know your, your although they're so sweet. I, I, don't, I don't know them well enough. Like, I wish my kids even got it the third time. But many times I feel like it's the 300th time. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I, my, my kids are adults. My, the, well, Trace is 17, but, but my other kids are, are adults. And like I told Christina the other day, they're going to move out and our light bill is going to go down exponentially because like, they still don't know how to turn off a light. And I've told them eight zillion times. And they just don't seem to learn learn that lesson. My mom used to tell me that every time you flipped the light switch, it cost us 75 cents. (laughs) Well. I I believed it until. your mom might be a smart woman. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I still didn't necessarily turn the light off. But, you know, when my youngest keeps flipping the light switch on and off, I, you know. He's only two. Yeah. Yeah. The numbers are adding up in your head. Oh, my gosh, that's $14. (laughs) Uh, don't ask me to math, though, please. <laughs> it's a lot of money. That's that's all. <laughs> I do. It's a great question. And again, I think three is biblically important, but more is the picture of the Trinity. But yeah, it's a neat, like if you have time and you want to do it, there's neat studies with the biblical numerology. I don't think everything, it's, it's kind of like conspiracy theories today. Like there's some things I'm like, I don't believe in all conspiracy theories, but I don't believe in zero conspiracy theories. <laughs> like, I think there's some stuff out there. I'm like, there's probably something to that. But I, you don't want to try and shoehorn everything into it. Yeah. Right. Um, another person also asked this. Um, what is the significance of the presence of Jewish, Acts 2, and Gentile, Acts 10 and 11, women, yeah. having the Spirit fall on them and then prophesying and preaching God's Word in the relation to modern women in today's culture and their role in ministry? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And that's I don't know that we've spent a lot of time talking about that in the podcast. I know I've spent a couple times in sermons where it comes up in context. It's kind of, it's such a loaded question. We won't have time to hit every nuance right. of it today either. I think the question always comes down to there are denominations, faiths, different churches that believe well, women should be pastors, women should not be pastors, women can do this in the church, women shouldn't do that in the church. And, and that, to me, we've made it a sexist question or a chauvinistic question because this is what we do in the fallen world that we live in. And I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's a biblical interpretation question. Um, I land in the camp that I believe Scripture pretty clearly teaches women shouldn't hold the role of pastor or elder, and that's it. Like, women can do everything else and anything else in the church, but I think if you interpret the passages in Second Timothy and, and First Timothy that Paul writes, I think that's where you land. Here at OCC, that's where we land as a church. But the reality then becomes, 
Well, there are women mentioned in the Bible. There are women who fill the role of deacon. There are women who are prophetesses, although I think that's a weird word. Uh, why don't we just call them prophets? Uh, <laughs> and so I don't, I don't say deaconesses. I think that's silly. They're deacons. So, and so in that... Why do we see those women in Scripture? Because you have to remember, and, and the Bible was written to transcend cultural norms and everything, but back in the day, back in the time it was written, hugely patriarchal society. So women got no credit. I think the fact that you see a lot of women in the Bible shows that God values women more than society <laughs> values women. And so we need to look at that, and you need to start asking questions. So here at OCC, and, and my personal belief, women shouldn't serve as pastors or elders. But that being said, and this is funny that you are sitting here in the podcast for this today, because I'm just going to tell you folks right now, like if you don't understand this, we function as a church, and we have pastors who are guys on staff, and then we have you and Colleen. And if you think anything... <laughs> That this church would get done without you and Colleen. You are not paying attention. <laughs> like, I, yes, I, I'm sure that we could come around and learn to do some things and get some stuff figured out. But there are so many things. There are roles that you fill. You're brand new in this job, and you are crushing it. And, and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm glad that you love it. I really, really am, because this is the kind of thing I could see God just using you phenomenally in this. But you, you make the church run. Colleen makes the finances of the church run. Those are hugely important roles. I don't... <laughs> We haven't had this conversation. I doubt that you aspire to be a pastor. I don't think that's something you want to do. I know Colleen doesn't aspire to be a pastor. I don't. I don't think people want me talking <laughs> in, in front of them. I. <laughs> I. And so that may be part of the deal. You know? <laughs> but but even this, like you admit that you've been out of your comfort zone doing things like this, doing the announcements, uh, doing mm-hmm. the the video you did. Yeah. But but you're crushing those things. You're doing so well. And so is God stretching you out of your comfort zone for? different ministry opportunities he has for you. I don't know. I I will say this, um, Colleen Merrill, if you guys know Colleen, who has been part of this church for 35 some odd years, Colleen meets every biblical quality to be an elder in the church. The only reason she's not an elder in the church is because of the biblical interpretation that women wouldn't serve in that role of spiritual leadership. But Colleen provides tons of spiritual leadership. And again, I don't think she aspires to be a pastor. She just uses these gifts that God gives her. She's got huge discernment. She's got an incredible, just an outsized voice in this church because she loves the Lord and she loves this church. And so I listen to her on tons of stuff. She just doesn't sit on that body. So in that, it really kind of comes down to that role. Women receive the Holy Spirit exactly the same way men do. Women can function in so many roles, except for that one that Paul says, hey, don't have women in this role. I don't even like it. Like, <laughs> I mean, just to be 100% honest, I don't like it. But I gave up fighting with the Bible a few years back because <laughs> I started to realize, well, I lose every time. <laughs> like, I'm not going to change this. If I believe God's word is inspired and timeless, I got to go with that. I, I would do it differently in my fallenness. I would say, well, Colleen's great. Let's make her an elder. And, and I don't think that's the thing God wants me to do. I'm supposed to be obedient in that. And I don't think Colleen aspires to it because I think God has wired her to say, this is the role you're supposed to fill. So at some point in time, it always comes back down to, am I going to obey the things the Bible tells me to do? Which is really the core of any question that we come to. So when these Gentile women received the Holy Spirit, when the Jewish women received the Holy Spirit, what roles were they supposed to fill? That's the important thing. I think it comes down to, to practicality. If somebody walked into the office off the street and they walked up the steps, you're the first person they're going to see. And if they said, gosh, I need somebody to share the gospel with me, would you say, well, hold on, I'll get a dude 
No. I mean, like, you know, if, if, if you felt that you were there for that moment, you'd share the gospel with him. And I think that's fantastic. And I think that's the way it's supposed to work. I don't think we're supposed to go, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. There are biblical examples of women stepping up and taking leadership roles. And I think it's fantastic. But the reason they did it, it's clear in scripture, is because guys weren't doing it. And I'd a zillion times rather have a woman step up and go, no guy's going to do it. I'm going to do it. God will get the glory in that. And, and the guy should get the shame <laughs> for not doing the thing he was supposed to do. But in that, we do have a model that says, well, this is what it's supposed to look like. So you should shoot for that. So it's a great question. We, like I said, we, and there's so much nuance to it. We could spend, we could do multiple podcasts just on this question. But, but again, it's not a sexist thing or a chauvinistic thing. I know so many women who are just so incredibly fiercely talented. And one of the things we do try to do here at OCC, and, and we haven't caught a lot of pushback on this, just a little. Like, I love having women do the announcements. I love having women lead in worship. I love having women pray in public. Those Because Scripture doesn't prohibit that whatsoever. And I think that's a great way to get women up in front, <laughs> in front of the body and say, you could have this gift, you could do this too. I have zero problem with women leading committees. Colleen has led our Benevolence Committee forever. Uh, neat uh, woman here at the church leads our prayer team. You know, that meets, uh, those are great roles for women to fill. It's just the one that scripture says, pastor, elder, they're not supposed to, that I'm going to listen to the Bible on that one, even when I don't like it. <laughs> um, is there anything else about the sermon that you wanted to add in that you don't feel that you got to shed any light on? Well, no, I really felt pretty good actually about, about this one. This was a return to, I, I, and this isn't about me, so I shouldn't even say this, but I love just reading the Bible and like reading a verse and going, hey, here's what this means. And then I read another verse and here's what this means. That's my favorite way to teach the Bible. And we've had several passages in a row that haven't lent themselves to that. And this one did. And I was like, oh, I love this. Um, but so I, I felt like with the text, I got almost everything in. I, I, I would have loved to have spent more time talking about how the series connect about how the moving day connects to the unstoppable church, which connects to plugged in, which connects to DNA, which is going to connect to our next series anchored or tethered or whatever. But I don't, I don't need to beat that dead horse. Folks who get it, get it. And folks who don't, it's going to be hard for me to make them understand it. So I I didn't feel like I had to spend a lot more time on that, but I I spent a good little bit of time. But other than that, no, the, the one that just keeps coming back, I wish we'd had a little more time to walk through the meat sheet thing, but we have the midpoint to do that. So I feel pretty good. Perfect. (laughs) Um, before we end this episode, let's talk about next week. I know yep. you kind of touched on this at the beginning, yeah. um, but what are we going to be studying and how can we prepare for next week's yeah. sermon? It's the continuation of what is happening because of this Peter's sermon and, and the hinge in his ministry, and then going back to share with the church because that really all we got was, hey, you can accept the Gentiles. And, and that was huge. That was absolutely huge for the early church. But now it's going to be practical. Well, what are you going to do to reach the Gentiles? What are you going to do to fellowship with the Gentiles? Because that, I mean, like, just like that's hard for us. We talk in theory about how it'd be great to go out and reach certain people, but then do we actually go reach those people? Now the Jewish people are willing to accept the Gentiles. What are they going to do about it? So I really love the next part of this passage too. So yeah, be praying about if we see the connection in our lives. Like, okay, now I'm the Jewish guy. I'm supposed to go out <laughs> and reach out. And because I think that's where the application will come in this one. So like the literal next step. Amen. All right. <laughs> Um, Well, that's all the time that we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's Midpoint. If you would like to send in any questions or thoughts for the show, please email or text OCCpodcast at lewistonocc.org. 
Also be make sure to join us for the service Sunday at 9 and 1030, as well as Monday night at 7. Or, I mean, you can just go to one. You don't have to go to all three. <laughs> no, all three, please. <laughs> yes, all three. Um, <laughs> we hope to see you all very soon. Be well and know that you are so loved by God and Orchard's Community Church. Amen. God bless you guys.